and welcome to the human side of healthcare. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the modern health system. Hospitals, physicians, all aspects of healthcare are changing, and we're having to change because how people expect healthcare to deliver is in changing, and there's innovation. There are many things that we're doing to do what's best, and that's why the human side of healthcare is a great place to discuss this. We're delighted to have with us today our guest, Wenji Mayo. She is the Chief Experience Officer and Senior Executive Vice President at Texas Health Resources, and she looks and deals with all aspects impacting the modern health system. Wenji, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's great to be here. Your title, Chief Experience Officer. What is your primary role at Texas Health Resources, and what are some of the things you do? Well, when you think about how our lives are changing or have been changing and how we experience life, especially with the technology revolution, you know, how we bank is different, how we shop is different, you know, how we go out to eat or not go out to eat now that we can get food delivery whenever we want um, has changed. And healthcare is going through that same evolution. And so as we think about um, what consumers and patients and people in this community expect from us going forward, um, we are really thinking through what those expectations are, understanding how to best meet the needs of the community here in North Texas, and delivering the new products and services and capabilities that allow Texas Health to do that. You know, you bring up a good point. I saw a poll the other day, and just one part of the population, the millennials, 83% said, we don't want to go to a physician's office. We want an app on our phone, and we want to go to a mini clinic, whether it be at Walgreens or CVS or somewhere else. But they don't want healthcare delivered traditionally the way that most people have known it. So what kinds of teams are you leading as you innovate and make changes at Texas Health Resources? Well, you hit on one of the big ones, uh, definitely, as we look at being able to provide access to care 24-7 to people, truly meeting them where they are. Um, The digital component and utilizing technology is a big piece. So the digital health team um, is one that we put together then with our new product development team, and they are both developing new products and services based on consumer research and market insights that we are gathering together. And once you have these insights and a new product or service, whether it's digital or still physical, we have a lot of products still that are physical products, um, we have to be able then to transform some existing businesses and be able to design and deploy those throughout Texas Health. So if you put those pieces together, um, those are that's really the team um, that it comprises the experience office. Um, and the last piece of that is once you've um, created this new product and are able to deliver on it, um, then being able to tell the world about it. So you put all those components together, and that's the um, team that is under the chief experience officer. You know, that makes a lot of sense, and we hear a lot about consumer-centric And not only you, but other health systems do great emergency care. You do treat 
treatment for complex diseases, chronic illnesses. Well, where do consumers really play into this? I think that the health systems in this market, Texas Health and others, provide excellent quality care, and we've been delivering a great experience for a long, long time. You know, whether you're having a baby or you're coming into one of our emergency departments or coming into one of our physician clinics, um, you get a great experience, both clinically and experientially. I think what we're learning is that when you're a patient, we deliver excellent care and an excellent experience. But as we go through our lives each and every day, sometimes we're patients and sometimes we're not. And even in those times we're not, we're looking for ways to support and improve our health. And that's really the consumer, where the consumer part comes in. How do we think about the entire health journey? How do we think about each individual in their daily lives, wanting to improve their health, and how do we connect all of those things together, both when you are a patient and when you're not a patient, and provide you those products and services, um, and we meet you where you are. So a great example of that is a partnership that Texas Health Health has with um, a company called Dispatch Health. Dispatch Health is able to provide really urgent care and a little more than urgent care services, some acute care services um, at your home. And so you have the ability to call them up or through an app or through your physician's office, be able to say, this is what's going on with me and we can send dispatch health to your place of work or to your home so that you can receive care without having to figure out if you're a mother of three, gosh, I have one sick kid. Do I load my two healthy kids in the car and hope that they don't get sick when they're at the doctor's office or urgent care? Or we've also heard really amazing stories from our senior population. Um, So some of them, you know, aren't as mobile as um, we are. And so the ability to provide care where they are has really been a game changer. We've talked to other people on this show, and everything you're saying just really rings true, where we're hearing from other health systems about people want to move treatment, if possible, to their home. They don't necessarily want to be in the traditional sense. Now, I realize if you're having a severe episode of illness, such as a cardiovascular problem, you've got to be in intensive care. But there are many people who now view themselves not as patients, but as consumers. And you've done a good job of talking about that. You know, Thomas and I even had a little, I wouldn't say disagreement, I kept referring to patients, and Thomas said, Steve, they are consumers. So do you want to elaborate any more on that? Um, I think that there are times when we are all patients and there are times that we're consumers. Um, And, you know, that patient-provider relationship is a very sacred one, one that is truly a healing ministry that we um, take very, very seriously. And we know that that is something that is entrusted to us. Um, There are also times, though, when you're not a patient with us, when perhaps maybe you're just looking for some advice, or perhaps you're a family member supporting somebody who is a patient of ours, how do we best support you as a family member in that? During that time period, you're a consumer of healthcare, but you're not the patient. And to think of it only as the patient um, is a little bit narrow for Texas Health, and so we're really widening the aperture of how we think about health, how we think about patients and consumers, and how we think about our as an organization. 
You know, Wenji, I've known you for a number of years, and I know you have a strong biomedical background, so I'm going to put you on the spot. (laughs) You know, as we talk about virtual doctor visits and ER apps and how we know the young people want things to change, as you look in your crystal ball, what does the future look like if we fast forward 10 or 15 years? I think that you will see a lot of the things that you just described, a lot of care that we can provide via virtual means. I think that we will see a lot of computer-assisted, whether you call it artificial intelligence or machine learning, supporting our providers and caregivers in decision-making. And I specifically say supporting and not replacing because there is an art and science to medicine, and there are a lot of um, companies out there that are are able to do amazing things with machine learning. But it's still both the human and the computer together that gives the best result. Um, and we've seen that whether it's um, Watson trying to beat uh, a chess master at chess or other examples, it's not the computer by itself that's the best or the human by itself that's the best. It's when you put the computer with the human together, that's when they win each and every time. To advise our listeners that are hearing you today and you in your experience as the chief experience officer, what would be your general advice just to patients, consumers that are looking to experience the healthcare. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't plan to experience it. They don't wake up and go, oh, I'm going to the hospital today unless it's an elective surgery. But do you have advice on nuggets of information to help people as they look at the delivery system today and how it may change? I think the healthcare system um, is changing uh, the and is very complex. Um, my one piece of advice would be Find that trusted advisor, whether it is a family member or a physician or perhaps it's a nurse in your family, and ask those questions and don't be afraid to ask and be able to articulate what it is you need. Oftentimes, um, especially when I was in the hospitals every day, I saw patients and families saying, well, I'm not sure, you know, should I ask that? And um, they're already doing so much. Please ask because um, we have the privilege to serve you, um, and that is what we want to do. And if you can ask for that information and tell us what we need to do differently or better to serve you, um, that is the best way that we can do that. I always say that feedback is a gift. Um, And so I invite all of your listeners, if there is something that um, we can do better, please reach out and tell us. You know, Wenji, I've been in healthcare a long time, and one of the things I've heard over the 45 years I've been in it is people will say, Steve, you know, you folks in healthcare, it takes you forever to make changes. Y'all just take so much time to make a change. So let me ask you, some of these changes you're talking about, do you think they'll be here sooner, later? What is your gauge on how we kind of look at these changes coming down the pike? 
I think some of those things are definitely already here. You know, how many of us already have access to virtual visits and um, telemedicine? So that is already here. I think that being able to provide care closest to home or your place of work or wherever you might be is something that will happen sooner rather than later. I think some of the things we were talking about in terms of machine learning and AI, those are probably here But full adoption is probably still three to five years out. And who knows, you know, I was just reading a study about some precision medicine and um, some biomedical polymers that are able to develop, uh, provide chemotherapy in a way that is novel and new. And, you know, those clinical trials take a while. Um, But that all of that is coming soon. You know, Wendy, you've given us good food for thought. A lot going on in healthcare, a lot of changes Yes, we're patients. Yes, we're consumers. But the patient experience, you've helped us and hopefully our listeners understand this a little better. You know, there are going to be changes. Some will be quicker than others. But that's why this is the human side of healthcare. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. What effect has the millennial population had on the delivery of care, both in the hospital and the physician office? Mm -hmm. Well, I think their expectation of being able to have information when they want it and be able able to access care when they want it is clearly a different difference. And, you know, Steve mentioned 83% of millennials, um, which if you couple that with the general population, it's not just millennials. Um, we found that 50% of the population doesn't want a primary care physician. And so um, you think about who's interacted with the healthcare system thus far, it's really people who have needed care. Um, and those who haven't said, I'm just going to stay away until I need something. Um, So, you know, when you think about improving health um, versus treating you when you're sick, um, there's half the population that we haven't reached yet that we need to through um, easier access, you know, less friction, more personalized understanding of who you are and the type of information and care you need so that you have it before you even know you need it. I am so glad to hear you say that because really you're giving us a glimpse, I think, into some of the conversations that must be going on in the C-suite of places like THR. Yeah, we talk about those things as well as, you know, we also need to understand who is the primary purchaser of healthcare, um, which is the employers. And so we need to design products and services, yes, to meet the needs of the consumer because we want the consumer to be able to. To, to want to utilize services. At the same time, we need to think about products and services that are meeting the needs of the purchasers of healthcare, which is our employers as well. I've been away from the management of clinics on the, on the provider side for quite a few years now, but things like you dial up and you either get this onerously long punch, a series of buttons to where you're doing calculus before you get to where you're trying to go, or the very infamous Dr. So-and-so's office, please hold, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, when is that kind of thing? Just the simple things like that. Are the millennials driving that? Of course, they don't want to talk to you. They just do it on the app. But is that kind of thing changing? Absolutely, it's changing. And it is at Texas Health as well. So when we think about the um, consumer experience, you can't not think about the care team experience. 
And um, when we were talking about my title, we said chief experience officer. There's a reason it's not the chief patient experience officer or the chief consumer experience officer. It's the chief experience officer because we understand that the consumer experience and the care team experience are linked. And so one of the things that we're really working on is what are ways that we can make the care team experience better? And your example is a perfect one. You know, when you have 2,000 calls within a span of two hours on a Monday morning, you know, that person who's answering that front phone at the front desk of a physician's office, that's not a, yeah, that's not a good day for them, right? We're not setting them up for success. And so how do we set them up for success? And, and currently um, we have pilots underway where we're centralizing um, those um, so that things that are um, simple and easy for us to answer, we can answer in that centralized way. And then those things that need to go back to the physician's offices can go back to the physician office. And we have been able to improve the um, response time. Um, We've been able to lower abandonment, call abandonment rates and uh, improve the experience that way. It is an interesting dilemma because you're dealing with either a provider's time, a physician's time, or a machine time, and more people that are demanding that time than that person or that mm-hmm. machine can deliver. Yeah. So it is a complex, a complex issue. Online scheduling was the first step for us in that. And now all of our Texas Health Physician Group um, physicians, you can schedule online. And that in itself has helped um, the experience immensely because now I don't have to wait to call to schedule. I can schedule at a time that's convenient for me, whether that's 11 in the morning or 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, that's excellent. And I love your point that it is both sides. It's the person consuming the healthcare and it's the person delivering the healthcare and we have to meet in the middle. That's great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're continuing our discussion with Wenji Mayo. She's the Chief Experience Officer and a Senior Executive Vice President with Texas Health Resources. And Wenji's talked to us a lot about the technology revolution. So let me ask you, Wenji, since COVID-19 has come to town, what are two or three things from a technology point of view that you've gleaned from some of the things when we've interacted with patients, the consumers, the physicians, anything you can share with us, some nuggets of wisdom related to technology. Yeah, um, COVID has certainly upended all of our lives and caused us to go about our lives a little differently, and healthcare obviously is no exception to that. Um, when I think about, you know, when looking back, what the most lasting trend for COVID will be to the health system, um, I, I really point to a couple things. The first is the accelerated um, adoption of telemedicine and televisits, um, whether that's a virtual visit with your doctor or um, in our hospitals, we have also implemented virtual rounding to limit the exposure that our staff might have to COVID positive patients. The idea that I can have an interaction and that we don't have to physically be in the same room and I can get the same level of care is astounding. Um, once COVID hit, um, we went from, you know, a handful of virtual visits a day in our Texas Health Physician Group practices to well over 5,000. Um, and we know that our patients have really um, enjoyed having that ability. 
On the hospital side, we've employed both virtual rounding um, for our caregivers as well as using um, virtual technology to connect patients with their families. So on the virtual rounding side, what we've been able to do is allow caregivers to interact with patients, mostly on COVID-positive patients, and continue to have that interaction, but really minimize risk of spread of disease. Um, We have that in the emergency department as well as on the inpatient units. And then really the ability to have family members still connect with our patients. Um, As you know, we've had to limit the number of visitors in our facilities and utilizing um, technology, whether it's simply FaceTime or other video conferencing modalities so that loved ones can continue to stay connected um, and ensure that their family members are communicated with um, is really important. So that's another way that we've used virtual rounding, if you will. So virtual rounding both for caregivers, but also allowing family members and loved ones to connect with patients in the hospital. I think another technology um, that uh, we are also really employing is really something that most patients won't see, but is essential in the way that we are responding to COVID, and that is using um, our um, real-time data and analytics and the predictive um, modeling and some of the um, machine learning capabilities that we have and being able to look at how we've responded to these patients, the amount of, for example, supplies and PPE that we utilize, the amount of staffing that's required for these patients, uh, the bed capacity that we have, and being able to look at our historical trends and then being able to predict that forward so that we can ensure that we have the right supplies, equipment, and staffing across all of our hospitals to be able to take care of patients. Um, And most importantly, to be able to move those assets all across our different hospitals and support them um, as they have needs. So that's the second area where um, we've really utilized technology in perhaps not as much of a public-facing way, but is essential to how we've been able to successfully manage through this pandemic. So, Wenji, you bring up an excellent point on the real-time data and analytics. And to all listeners out there, let me explain to you a little bit from my perspective of how important this has been. You know, in many cases, you do research, you do development related to vaccines and the treatment of disease, and it takes years We haven't had years. COVID-19 came to us about four months ago, and it has been amazing. The real-time data right here in North Texas that our clinicians and our doctors have looked at, things they've learned from New York and Italy, and how they've applied that. And, Wenchi, I can only imagine the data and analytics that come out of COVID-19 patients that you've treated in the last 60 to 90 days and how you and your team are learning how to improve the treatment you're giving now. That is a great point you made. Yeah, thank you, Steve, for that. Um, Yes, you know, you look at the way that we treat um, COVID 
patients and what we've learned and um, over time. And um, just recently, actually, a group of our clinicians at Texas Health Dallas authored a, pa- a journal article on um, their experiences um, with COVID patients um, with specific treatments. So not only are we ingesting a lot of the lessons learned from Italy, from New York, and other places, we are also contributing to the literature and really supporting all of us, you know, the entire world as we learn how to treat this very much emerging disease. You know, kind of pivoting back to look at some of the technology, even not treating COVID-19 directly. I've talked to a lot of clinicians that have used the technology, the telehealth, the virtual visits to treat depression, anxiety, cardiovascular problems. It's been amazing how this information technology revolution has crossed all the patient care, not just COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we um, talk to our patients, um, they really, COVID or not, they really appreciate the convenience They appreciate the privacy, especially sometimes when you're talking about mental health issues. You know, you don't want to walk into an office that everybody, you you know, sees that that is um, a mental um, health provider's office. And unfortunately, there's still a stigma in the U.S. around mental health. And so virtual visits allow that um, privacy. They allow that convenience. Um, and and we have found that our pa- patients have really adopted virtual visits, uh, both COVID and non-COVID patients. And um, I'll um, provide you with a, an anecdote um, of a patient comment that we received because we're surveying all of our patients um, after they've completed a visit. Um, and overall, our patients are very satisfied. And one of them wrote us and said, you know, this is exactly what I've been wanting for a long time. And don't you dare pretty much take this away after COVID. You need to keep doing it. And um, we definitely will. It's it's a technology we were standing up prior to COVID. Clearly, COVID accelerated um, the stand-up of our virtual visits, and we will continue to offer virtual visits for a long time to come. Uh, Last week on the show, Thomas and I had the privilege of interviewing uh, one of your patient navigators, Erin Prendergast, and she does work uh, with cancer patients and helps reassure them and navigate them on on their journey of treatment. And she even expanded on how she's having to do virtual interaction to help patients navigate. And it's so much better than just doing a phone call or sending an email. So, you know, there's just so many potential possibilities on how virtual can help us treat patients. Well, we've talked about virtual visits in terms of face-to-face, you know, video visits, but we've also launched um, some technology that allows you to chat with a physician anytime, um, 24-7. And so if you're a THPG patient or if you've been discharged from one of our THR hospitals from the emergency department in the past seven days, you have access to an app that allows you to um, chat with a emergency department provider 24-7 with any questions that you may have, whether that's questions about your discharge or whether it's, oh, well, my I don't feel like I'm getting any better or um, I couldn't 
quite remember what the physician told me. Um, so it's not just the virtual visit, but it's also chat functionality and other technologies um, that we're putting in place to support all aspects of patient care that I think are really exciting, um, that have really accelerated us three to five years at least in terms of adoption, and we're excited to continue to provide more of these offerings to the community. So let me go back and ask you another question, and then I'm going to let Thomas ask some because he always has such great questions. But let's go back to the virtual rounding. And for our listeners out there who may not quite grasp what rounding is, but it's when the team comes to deal with a patient. And pre-COVID-19, the team and the rounding would occur within the patient's room. But to help limit exposure to COVID-19, you started doing virtual rounding. Did the team members all sign on at the same time through the virtual rounding to interact with the patient? So all the huddles, if you will, took place virtually? Or can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. Um, The way our virtual rounding works is um, the patient is given a device and then the care team member, so the clinician, the nurse, the doctor, the RT, they have a device and they can interact with that patient one-on-one without having to go into the room each and every time. Now, obviously, if the patient has a need that necessitates uh, a clinician going into the room to have a conversation or to do a procedure or adjust a piece of equipment, they will do that. But it is a good way to minimize risk as well as meet patients' needs in a really uh, safe way. You know, uh, and I talked to a friend of mine that works, you know, in a hospital and has been working on the COVID-19 unit and even taking that a step further, as you said, when an individual has to enter the patient's room with the PPE and adjust something or, as you say, do a little procedure, you even kind of multitask to the extent that person can do multiple things while they're in there. That minimizes the interaction to the extent you can, which I thought was pretty innovative in and of itself. Yeah, we've had a lot of staff members do really um, innovative things. You know, early on, um, there were pieces of equipment that normally sit within the patient room um, that we've been able to place those pieces of equipment outside the patient room so that settings can be adjusted without having to go into the patient room. Um, We have seen staff members um, really think through, you know, all the different things they can do and really um, put all those tasks together, like you mentioned, and go into the patient room once um, and then come out of the patient room when they're finished, which minimizes, again, risk and exposure. Uh, I think the other thing that's really important, though, um, is that we have learned a lot about this disease over the past few months. And we know that with appropriate PPE, um, which all of our hospitals have, that the risk of transmission is very minimal um, and that it is very safe to provide care to COVID patients. And it's safe for all patients, whether you have COVID or not, to seek care in a hospital when you need it. Um, We have learned a lot and we have been able to minimize that risk and that spread. And it is very safe both for our employees to work um, in our hospitals as well as for patients to seek care in our facilities. That's terrific. 
So, Thomas, I'm going to hand you the baton. Well, let me uh, just parlay right with that answer. How have you tapped it down so much? You say with PPE. So what's been the bottom line key to keeping it from spreading from one person to another? So the bottom line key to keep it from spreading to one person to another is really to um, practice what I call the holy trinity of infection prevention, which is to wash your hands or use hand gel um, when you've been out and touched surfaces, um, to wear a mask because wearing a mask protects me, but also protects you. And when both people are masked, um, that is um, essential. And then finally, um, safe social distancing, um, ensuring that we are keeping six feet apart um, when we're having conversations, and that includes in the hospital when we're rounding, we keep six feet apart. And those are really the important things. Um, within a hospital, I would say that we also have additional protocols because we do um, procedures that um, are called aerosolizing procedures um, that may um, produce um, COVID virus into the air. And when we do that, then our caregivers have a special level of PPE that they utilize. Um, they utilize N95 masks, they utilize face shields, they utilize isolation gowns, and obviously gloves um, to ensure that um, everybody is safe when we're treating those types of patients. And all of that equipment, um, or sorry, all of that PPE is um, taken off um, when they leave the patient room and discarded before they go into um, a new patient room. Here's the paradox question for you. Steve, I'd even like to get your thoughts on this if you'd like to contribute. The paradox of virtual visits. On the one hand, yes, absolutely. We love them as patients because, A, think of the time we just save in driving and waiting in waiting rooms and all of that. And yet when it transcends to being admitted to the hospital, if somebody gets COVID or like a good friend of mine right now whose mom is in an Alzheimer's facility with COVID, um, we can't be there with our loved ones. And even as a patient, you want that connection with the people who love you and have your back. How do we resolve that in the end? I mean, this show is called The Human Side of Healthcare. How do we bring that human element into a virtual world? Um, well, I think there's two points that I'd make there. The first is that we understand that family members are a key part of healing for our patients. Um, so as Texas Health, we have allowed um, one visitor for non-COVID patients um, for a while, and we have continued that practice. Um, so long as those visitors follow um, our guidelines for safe interaction, and that includes masking and hand hygiene and social distancing anytime they're in the facility. Um, so for us, we find that that is um, essential um, to supporting both our patients and oftentimes our caregivers as well. Um, in terms of how we use virtual to maintain that connection, um, I, you know, I, I think that utilizing um, FaceTime and other video mechanisms is really important. Um, we have the ability to tie our language line into that as well. So for families who speak um, other languages, we've been able to tie those things in together. Um, and really, our clinical staff at the hospitals, I just want to call them out 
they have really been the frontline heroes that know that it's hard for patients and their families and have made that extra effort to ensure that we're communicating with our families to, you know, taking those phone calls, um, making sure that they are taking that extra step to make sure that everybody continues to be connected um, as much as we can be. You know, Thomas, I'll uh, give you a couple of uh, when she gave you a great answer. Far be it from me to try to, to give a better answer than when she. But anecdotally, I've talked to some physicians and I talked to a cardiologist. And this cardiologist said, you know, I've always understood the real importance of virtual visits, but I never really used them. But COVID-19 kind of forced it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times I need to see the patient. But I've started implementing virtual visits, and after about three weeks, I sat down and looked at the data, and you know what? I was much more efficient. I was getting many more patients' advice. I was dealing with certain things virtually that saved time, and it was better for the patient, and said, you know what? Virtual now is going to be an integral part of my practice on a go-forward basis. Yeah, that's great. What a convenience. Wenji, when all of the dust settles, look in your crystal ball. I mean, you are in such a prominent position with such a tremendous healthcare system, a nationally renowned health care system. And when the dust all settles on this, what do you think besides, we've already mentioned virtual visits, what else is going to be with us? I think the way we think about the health system and the way we think about disease will change and how we treat that disease. Um, and really, how can we utilize technology to be more clinically effective? Um, if you think about COVID, what we've learned about the disease and how we treat it, and even where we treat it, has changed, and we've had several learning cycles over the past few months, learning cycles that for other diseases have taken several years. And I think that acceleration will continue, and we'll have to be very careful, right, because with speed comes some other consequences that we need to look at. But I think in general, that entire cycle of how we treat that disease, where we treat that disease, and how quickly we learn and pivot and change, um, I think that will be with us for a long time to come. Excellent. Thank you very much.